This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Jeff Barrow, CFO of GBT, and you are listening to CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 484. for which I was responsible. So we had to, to build those teams, bring in the leaders and build those capabilities so that we could you know, not only service the growing needs of the company internally, but satisfy our obligations as a public company. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. It's been nearly 20 years since Andrew Guggenheim stepped into the CFO office for the first time. After serving as finance chief for a string of biotechs, we were pleased he accepted our invitation to update us on his latest chapter at Demira and share some thoughts on his CFO career journey. We begin after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful.com at planful.com. Hello, we're speaking with Andrew Guggenheim, CFO of Dermera, a biopharmaceutical company inside the dermatology realm. Andrew, welcome. Great. Hi, Jack. Great to be here with you today. This seemed like an interesting space. We've been interviewing a number of different uh, biopharmaceutical CFOs lately, but not in, in the world of dermatology. So we learn about uh, Dermera. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself looking back and what were those experiences uh, that you feel prepared you for a finance leadership role inside this realm? Yeah, no, happy to do that. Um, you know, I will say when this all started, I uh, can't say that I necessarily envisioned uh, the CFO role is where I would ultimately uh, end up, but uh, certainly pleased that's been the case. You know, as I, as I think back of uh, the experiences that got to me, got me where I am today, um, really three major buckets that I see. First, um, you know, I was fortunate to have really solid underlying accounting, banking, and finance experience and a great foundation off of which to build experiences at, at Wells Fargo inside of a commercial bank. Business school uh, experience as well that gave me that solid uh, accounting and finance. 
finance background, um, which was really kind of the, the, the first leg of the stool, if you will. Uh, the second was an opportunity uh, to work uh, on Wall Street at an investment bank, which gave me you know, the ability to interact with companies across the healthcare, healthcare space, including biotech companies, obviously, of which Jumeirah is one. Um, but a great uh, strategic perspective, interacting with boards and management teams, and a great investor perspective in that investment banking experience and helping advise companies on uh, acquisitions, uh, product sales, company sales, uh, IPOs, and other financings. And that, that strategic perspective, um, I think, is critical uh, you know, in, in today's CFO world. And then the third leg really was the on-the-job uh, experience. Uh, had the, the good fortune of, um, uh, or depending on your perspective, uh, of becoming a public company uh, CFO uh, back in uh, in 2002, um, or just actually 2000, right uh, prior to the uh, the Sarbanes-Oxley Act of 2002, and that on-the-job experience, and now some almost 20 years later um, across a variety of companies, really that on-the-job training. There's no substitute for that, um, and I think the more experience you have, the more situations you see that give you kind of the invaluable um, perspective that makes you stronger and stronger uh, as you get more and more experience over the course of your career. When did you zero in sort of on biotech? Was it at Merrill Lynch, or where were you when you decided this was the industry that intrigued you? Yeah, it, it was. It was exactly at Merrill Lynch. I uh, you know, was a generalist, so to speak, in my commercial banking experience, uh, and upon um, – did the business school, uh, actually did a, a, a summer position at Merrill Lynch, uh, and then obviously uh, went there upon graduation, and both in my summer experience and upon graduation got, got placed uh, in, the, in the healthcare group. Back in the day, as surprising as it might sound, uh, investment banks kind of divided coverage by geographies. Um, so bankers would cover companies, for example, on the West Coast, whether those were technology, biotech, industrial companies, and it wasn't until – um, really the, the, the mid to late 90s that banks began to shift to be um, focused on particular sectors. Um, at the time, Merrill had formed a healthcare group, and I was placed in that group and really just uh, took a liking to um, that, the field. And, and again, I, I worked with biotech companies, medical device companies, healthcare services companies, information technology companies in the healthcare space. So worked across the spectrum of healthcare-focused companies but always gravitated toward biotech just because I really liked what the companies stood for in their mission. So obviously, the companies um, wanted certainly to do well, but they also wanted to do good. Um, and that experience uh, in advising companies in the biotech sector ultimately drew me even closer when I made the move to leave investment banking to go to the operating or industry side um, you know, some, some uh, 20 years or so ago now. You've had a number of CFO tours of duty now in the biotech sector. As you are approached with new opportunities from time to time, what type of opportunities in this realm is what attracts your, your interest these days? And, well, what, what attracted you to Demera? No, I think it's a great question. I will say that, you know, my perspective and, and my priorities uh, have changed over the course of my career. And, and uh, when I look back, uh, you know, now in my just about a few weeks from my five-year anniversary here at Dermira, when I think about what mattered to me when I was evaluating this opportunity, um, you know, certainly um, the portfolio uh, of a biotech company is such a very different uh, organization than, than uh, other companies. But, you know, what are the 
what are the assets of the company? What is its therapeutic focus? And in this case, for Dermira, focus in the medical dermatology space. What is the unmet need? Is, is there an opportunity to deliver incremental value to the patients that we ultimately, you know, work here to develop therapies for? Um, that's certainly an important criteria. You know, I think above all, and this has been more and more important over the course of my career, is you know the, the quality and the depth of the leadership team and the board of directors. Um, you know, uh, it's an industry where um, you know you have multiple binary events, and if you've been in the industry long enough, you're going to experience both the highs and the lows, and how uh, teams and organizations behave during the lows, and you know, that reveals a lot of character. Um, and, and to me. The, you know, the experience, the quality, the culture of a company, of a team, and its board is, you know, above all, the most, most important criteria, and ultimately, in, my, in the specific case for Jermira, what drew me here five years ago. Now, give us a sense of the stage of development this company was in when you arrived. Was it, um, had it already had its uh, IPO? It was actually uh, pre-IPO. I was the 22nd employee to join. Today we have over 300 employees. Uh, it was pre-commercial then. Today we have a, a product on the market. Um, and I joined um, really to help um, guide the company through the IPO process. Uh, we had the, the organizational meeting. Uh, that's the meeting in which you bring together the company executives, the underwriters involved in an IPO, and all the lawyers and the accountants to kick off the process. I joined a week before that meeting was convened, and, and again, my, my primary role over the first six months was to help guide the company through the IPO process, which we uh, I joined in March of 2014. The IPO occurred in October of that year. So, and in parallel with helping guide the company through the I, IPO process, helping build the finance and other key functions to prepare for life as a public company. When I joined Dermira, we had one other person on the finance team. We had no employees on our legal team. We had no employees on our IT team, and those were functions for which I was responsible. So we had to build those teams, bring in the leaders, and build those capabilities so that we could you know, not only service the growing needs of the company internally, but satisfy our obligations as a public company. I have to believe talent was one of your, uh, as you came in, there were obviously positions to fill, as you just described, uh, but talent was top of mind. Did you see that as one of your key priorities, uh, bringing the people who could serve in these roles? Yeah, absolutely, no question. Um, you know, I've been in, in organizations in prior lives where, you know, those teams exist, and oftentimes you're, you're making changes to kind of increase the overall talent level. But in this case for Jamira, it was a matter of, of, of finding and, and, and building, finding that talent and building those teams. And it's uh, – it was a great position to be in, and it was an exciting time. The company was preparing for an IPO. Um, you know, as competitive as the, the biotech uh, job market is, um, and certainly here in the Bay Area, we were fortunate given the, the prospect of an IPO, given the reputation and experience of the management team to be able to draw great talent in. Um, it, was, it was a challenge given the time frame under which we were working, but the importance of that talent, you know, that in folks with us today across multiple functions was – and I think right there, you know, with the IPO prep as you know, really priority uh, number one or 1A for me when I joined the company. Now, how many uh, biotech firms is it today that you have been involved with their public offerings one way or another? You know, in my investment banking experience at Merrill Lynch, I was fortunate to work uh, with a few companies in helping execute IPOs on their behalf. And, in fact, it was um, one such company where I started uh, as, you know, 
the advisor to the company and, and leading their transition from a private to public company that um, I ultimately joined. Uh, in fact, uh, over the over the road show, you know, where you meet with uh, with multiple investors before the IPO, I was uh, and I was at Merrill Lynch at the time. was was asked if I had an interest in joining the company, and I thought it was a great opportunity. I had the benefit of having spent many months with that management team and board, so really knew the company and and the, and the team. So uh, joined that company upon um, the IPO. Dermira, as we mentioned, where I am today, um, I, I helped lead the company uh, with the team through that IPO. And I've had a, a couple of other experiences. Uh, in one case, Calistoga Pharmaceuticals, where we were uh, exploring kind of a parallel path of value creation. Uh, on the one hand, preparing the company for a potential IPO, which we were doing. And on the other hand, um, exploring potential strategic partnerships uh, as two alternatives to create shareholder value. And it turned out in that case with Calistoga that um, those shareholder, those uh, partnerships turned into more strategic discussions, and we ultimately uh, ended up selling the company to uh, Gilead Sciences, another, you know, big, prominent uh, Bay Area biotech. Um, so that was, you know, experience. We didn't get all the way across the finish line for the IPO, but we got to an outcome that was, uh, was ultimately great for shareholders. Are there certain CFOs who are perhaps late-stage biotech versus uh, early-stage? How would you characterize yourself in the realm of biotech CFOs? You know, I think when I when I came, um, you know, I came out of investment banking to the sector. I've been on the operating side now for 20 years, so I, I came at it from a strategic and, and transactional perspective, having been an advisor to companies and, and helping them create value, whether that's via initial public offerings, or raising subsequent equity or debt capital, or acquiring other companies, or sometimes selling themselves. So I came at it from the transactional perspective, um, but having been having done this for 20 years, and I've certainly had plenty of, of instances where, you know, we've had transactions inside companies, I've, as I said, been involved in IPOs, in merger transactions, in hostile takeover defenses, in addressing shareholder, uh, activist shareholder situations. Um, you know, the, the core part of the job is, is really is value creation. Um, and here at Dermira, though I was, you know, involved as, as, as discussed in the IPO, um, over the last year, you know, our, our focus has been, um, you know, continuing to advance our portfolio and, more importantly, um, preparing the, the company for the launch of our first commercial product, which is Subrexa, which is now on the market, um, which we, for which we received FDA approval in June of last year and then ultimately launched in October. And that, that was anything but transactional in nature. That was really um, making sure we have the right um, team members, capabilities, resources to uh, first prepare for uh, and then ultimately execute on post-FDA approval uh, the launch of the product. So, so reveal to us then your, your day-to-day and the metrics that are uh, top of mind for you. Um, you know, I, I think for me, um, you know, in, in the biotech industry, certainly cash is king. Um, and, uh, you know, we, um, though we now have a, a product in the market, we are not yet uh, yet generating uh, positive cash flow. So certainly ensuring that uh, we have sufficient resources to deploy to maximizing the opportunity for our commercial product um, and the resources to continue to uh, advance our pipeline. We have another program that's in uh, Phase 2B development, which is the final stage before the last pivotal phase three trials, and we have earlier uh, stage programs as well. So, you know, what, what, what 
matters to me, um, looking at obviously the, the ongoing cash position of the company. Uh, now that we're commercial, I'm looking at the, very regularly our sales-related metrics, not just the, the scripts for the product, but a number of other metrics that are great indicators of the potential success of the therapy we have in the market. Um, we talked about talent before, certainly monitoring, um, you know, how we're doing in terms of hiring the many positions uh, that we're, we're looking to build that talent base and also watching uh, attrition to make sure we, um, you know, are doing what we can to minimize that. Um, I monitor the clinical timelines for programs in development. How are those, uh, how are those tracking as well? You know, what I, people often ask, uh, you know, is, your, is the first thing you do is look at the stock price every day, assuming that that's the primary job of the CFO. And, and you know, I think my view is, um, you know, if, if we do all the other things right, We'll see that rewarded in the stock price, and, and we can't control what the stock does on any given day. I mean, on any given day, it may not reflect the ultimate value of the company. We need to be focused on the things that, that really matter, and the stock price will ultimately follow. So we always ask for what we refer to as a finance a strategic moment, and this could have happened any time during your career. I'm sure you've had plenty of them. But it's about when you, uh, given your lines of sight into the organization, were able to see a uh, particular risk or an opportunity what comes to mind when I ask for a finance strategic moment? Let's see. Yeah, that, well, that's a tough question. Um, you know, I think I would. Uh, I was at a company called PDL Biopharma um, that was, um, you know, one of the more well-recognized area biotech companies at the time, and, and it was a very diverse company with um, a, a, a royalty stream as a result of intellectual property the company had established that was generating you know, several hundred million dollars a year in cash flow to the company. We had a very robust uh, development stage pipeline with multiple assets in development. We had a um, manufacturing facility uh, here in the United States. We also had a few commercial products on the market. Um, so it was um, a bit of a basket of different assets, and uh, you know, I think it was uh, a basket of assets that resulted in, in less than the full value of the company being uh, accorded to it by the public markets. Uh, we ultimately made the decision to, um, to affect a number of transactions that we thought in aggregate would deliver greater value to our shareholders. So we ended up um, making a decision to sell off our commercial assets, uh, sell our plant, and then split the remaining company into two separately traded public companies you know, with the aggregate goal of, of creating more value for our shareholders and allowing each company to flourish um, really as a more, more focused organization. So as I, as I look back uh, on that particular instance, you know, how do you, how do you intersect strategy, finance, and operations to deliver a, a greater outcome um, for, for both shareholders, certainly, which is the responsibility of a public company, um, but also in the case of the biotech company, you know, how do you allow that company to flourish to, to, to deliver more value um, for patients? So I find it, I always find it interesting that uh, uh, finance leaders in the Bay Area there are side by side. You have, and I often wonder whether, um, you know, as you uh, connect with your peers in the IT world, how their day-to-day -day or their experience as uh, a finance leader is different from yours, or are they the same? I also wonder whether, what advice would you offer an up-and-coming finance leader? Is there anything you would distinguish between the two uh, for people who are making their career one or the other? 
No, that's a great question. It, 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 I mean, I think it's very um, relevant, as, as you said, for those of us here in the Bay Area, where you have kind of the confluence of, of, of a, a very robust uh, biotech community and a, and a tech community. You know, the business models are incredibly different, um, and I have many friends uh, and peers who are on the tech side. Um, you know, my, my friends look at me cross-eyed when, when they hear about the number of companies that are publicly traded. Um, that are in some cases years from generating top line revenue. You just you don't see that situation on the tech side. Um, so the objectives uh, in the CFO role or CFO role are very different across uh, the two types of companies. I think the other thing certainly are the other timelines in the biotech space. Um, you know it can be 10 years um, from concept to uh, product approval, if not longer. Uh, in the tech space, you know product cycles are measured in months, and companies are you know, providing new patches or updates to products uh, several times a year. Um, you know, I, I do think that the nature of the events in the biotech space, that events tend to be far more binary in nature um, and, and a little more incremental uh, on the tech side. You know, in terms of advice I would offer, I think it really comes down to, you know, what what the companies do, and it's very different uh, in the case, you know, between biotech and, and technology. And, and I've enjoyed, and, and, and obviously having, now having 20 years in the biotech space, I, I really enjoy working alongside people who are working to you know, improve human life um, you know, in its simplest form, and here at Dermira, uh, providing uh, and developing therapies that can improve the quality of life for patients that suffer from dermatologic conditions. And, and you know, people get out of bed every day here, I think, to do, as I said at the outset, to do both, uh, to do well, but also to do good. And I think that's what really stands out for those of us in the biotech community. And, and look, those opportunities exist in the tech space as well, but I, the advice I would give is, you know, where, where are you most passionate about the underlying mission of the organization? And for some, that's you know, what would, would gravitate folks toward the tech space, and in other cases, what would uh, gravitate them towards the biotech field. We enter the mentoring round with CFO Andrew Guggenheim after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. I think you might have uh, already touched on this uh, for our next question, um, uh, but that question I just asked is a good segue to the mentoring round, which is just a group of questions we have here towards the end of the interview, um, where I get to begin with by asking you, what's, what's that one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? To me, it's really the... Um you know, the, the role, the increasing role that finance is playing in um, strategies of organizations. Um, you know, it's, it's not just about, you know, getting the books closed on time, making sure that, you know, the, the filing 
decisions are made in a timely matter, um, the, the bookkeeping, bookkeeping aspect. I think financing is increasingly viewed as a, a, an important strategic partner to an organization, um, and, and not just on, you know, on questions about how do we maximize the value of an asset, and what's the approach we should take in our case on a particular development product. Um, so I think to me what's, what's exciting is how boards and leadership teams are increasingly looking to the finance function and role as an important strategic partner in decisions that are made across organizations, really in, in all functional areas. Now, before you stepped uh, into a CFO role, and maybe this goes back maybe to your investment banking day, but you stepped into that role for the first time. What is the piece of information that would have been handy or, or you wish someone had told you before you actually stepped in that role for the first time? Anything come to mind? You know, I think, and I remember uh, when uh, – when I first became a public company CFO, I was relatively young. Um, the CFO that I succeeded, who was, a, was and remains a great friend of mine, gave me a hard hat that said public company CFO on it that had been passed along to him um, from his predecessor. And, and to me, and I think what I didn't appreciate is uh, sort of the level of intestinal fortitude that's required and, and sort of the, the weight of the role, um, you know, and the responsibility that I think many of us in this profession and this role feel in terms of the responsibility to, um, we all have responsibilities to our families, of course, but the responsibility um, to the employees of the organization um, and whether you're private or public, the responsibility you feel to the investors of the company, which ultimately are the owners of the company, um, something I've certainly come to appreciate and value over the course of my career that you know, at the outset I, I was probably somewhat naive about. Is there a uh, – do you have a personal habit or a routine, perhaps, that you believe has contributed to your professional success in some way? You know, I think um, maybe flexibility and adaptability, which is the opposite of routine, um, because, uh, you know, this is a field that changes rapidly, and, and being – having a mindset that um, is flexible, that allows you to, 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 to think quickly, to me, that's – Rather than a you know specific routine that, that I fall into, I think you're really approaching the the position, and this may be somewhat unique to the to the specific uh, biotech area. But um, the routine is really every day is different. Um, and having an approach that kind of welcomes um, that uh, welcomes that change and, and that flexibility. Okay. Now, would you have a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? trying to think uh, of, a, of a recent uh, book that's finance-oriented. Uh, finance um, this may be somewhat off-topic, but, uh, you know, I think this is applicable to finance leaders and, and, and all leaders. And um, this, this may have been mentioned uh, by some of the folks uh, you, you've spoken with before, but, uh, you know, recently read the book uh, Bad Blood, which is, uh, you know, a story of a Bay Area-based um biotech diagnostics company that isn't necessarily finance-focused, but I think um, it's a great book about uh, moral compass and, and sort of the obligation that, that all folks, and I would say particularly finance leaders, have in companies to ensure that, uh, you know, that moral compass uh, remains pointed uh, in the right direction. From what I understood, 
that company straddled sort of both worlds. In some ways, its valuations were more part of the you know high tech world than they were the biotech world. No, and, and, and off, I think that's right, Jack. But but at its core, I think and this is what what ultimately um, at its core it really was a healthcare company. It was a diagnostics and biotech company, and that that skill set at the leadership you know, board level. That's what I think was the gap between you know positioning as a tech company, but not having the requisite skill set that reflected the true company it, it actually was. Okay, we're up to our final question, which is: uh, as you look forward, what are your priorities for the coming 12 months as a finance leader? For us here at Dermira, you know, certainly over the last 12 months, the focus has been on preparing for and executing the commercial launch. As, as I look forward, as our organization now looks forward to our priorities over the next 12 months, I really see, see two uh, primary areas of focus. First, um, you know, we have an uh, upcoming uh, important data readout for a, a biologic that we have for the treatment of a condition called atopic dermatitis. We talked earlier about, you know, the very binary nature of the space in which we operate, um, preparing the organization for that readout, regardless of the outcome, uh, is an important task for us, um, you know, independent of, of, of how that, that data reads out. The second priority, as I see it, is really ensuring that uh, we have sufficient access to capital as a company so we can deliver on our strategy and fulfill the mission uh, of the organization to serve the unmet needs of patients who suffer from these dermatologic conditions. Andrew Guggenheim, thank you for joining us on CFO Thank you, Jack. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.